Now this section 3 covers, as we say in Tibetan, I think it, this expression is there in every community, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. So we hope for the best that we can return back to, or we will return back to Tibet as soon as possible. But at the same time, we have to be prepared for the worst. When we first came into exile in 1959, our parents never thought that they will have to live in exile for the next 63 years. Yes, it has already been 63 years since we came into exile. The 13th Dalai Lama also came into exile in, India, in, in India in 1910 and returned back in two days. And our parents also thought that we would return back to Tibet in no time. But it has already been more than 63 years. Now, how do we maintain our relevance? How do we maintain our legitimacy into the future? How do we make sure that even if we have to struggle for the next 30, 40, 50 years, how do we make sure that we can continue this struggle? So this is the long-term objective of the Central Tibetan Administration. And based on that long-term objective, then how do we adopt short-term and mid-term planning? Uh, that is what is involved in this section, Welfare of the Tibetans in Exile. The, the first part covers uniting the Tibetan community. We are only 130,000 Tibetans in exile. When we first came into exile, it was only 80,000 Tibetans. One can imagine if 80,000 Tibetans have been distributed in the whole of India, then today there would not be any Tibetans speaking Tibetan language. They, could be, they, would, they would be speaking all other languages in India, but not Tibetan. But the very fact that we uh, established compact communities is because then only can we be in a position to preserve our language and our religion and culture and way of life. So uniting the Tibetan community is the prime importance um, when we uh, move forward. Uh, and how do we do that? Now one is securing democracy. Because democracy has been uh, given to us on a platter by His Holiness the Dalai Lama, whereas in any parts of the world you have to struggle for uh, democracy through your tears, your sweats, and your blood. But in our case, it was a totally different scenario. His Holiness granted democracy based on how much we have been able to adapt to the changing responsibilities and circumstances. So this is a very precious gift from His Holiness, and it is incumbent upon us, the generation that has taken the responsibility now, to make sure that the future generations of Tibetans also continue with the same democratic processes and uh, uh, govern ourselves. One of the main reasons why His Holiness went for democracy was also to prepare his own people at a time when His Holiness is no longer than is uh, with us. With that objective in mind, His Holiness devolved all his responsibilities from time to time. And right now, we have the elected leadership, whether it's in the cabinet or whether it's in the parliament or in the judiciary, uh, to take up the responsibilities. And this is something we should never, ever forget. Now, if we dismantle what His Holiness has already created in terms of democratic governance, then we would be considered, I think, uh, uh, a blot on Tibetan history.
So we have to make sure that this democracy survives and the cabinet is committed to the norms of democracy and to the functions of democracy. That is why we have consciously, always consciously made effort to stick to our responsibilities and to maintain the boundaries of the three pillars of democracies and uh, also maintain checks and balances, which is the very essence of democracy where, forget about one individual becoming imp uh, superior or important to others, but even an organization or institution cannot be um, enjoying too much power. So there has to be division of power and there has to be checks and balances. And we are very committed to uh, upholding all these democratic values in exile. Then we also have to make sure uh, that uh, all the functionings of the central Tibetan administration are transparent. In this age of social media, when people come up with all kinds of noises <clears throat> based on facts or not based on facts, uh, based on rumors, uh, we also know that Chinese government is also very, very uh, uh, happy and they are expert in uh, having cyber warfare with uh, uh, the international community. So. There's no reason why they will not fight a cyber war with us. And we also know for a fact that Chinese government also spends a lot of money to recruit people within our community to create problems. <clears throat> and therefore, I think every Tibetan should be very, very mindful about how they receive information and how they disseminate information, whether it harms us or hurts us. That also needs to be considered even before you redistribute information. And from the Central Tibetan Administration side, the best means to fight disinformation is through transparency. So when it comes to Sino-Tibet dialogue, there may be some issues that we may not be able to divulge as of now. But on all other matters, we are committed to maintaining uh, transparency, not only in our functioning, but also on all the projects that we'll be undertaking so that donors, beneficiaries, and uh, administrators can all have a look at any time they want. Then one of the commitment that we made was uh, uh, equity or equitableness. Any services of the Central Tibetan Administration, whether it's from the Home Department or the Education Department or the Health or the Religion and Culture Department, we always make sure that there is equitableness in the distribution of resources. And in other areas where we have identified uh, challenges, we always make sure that it's not just that person who have been able to reach out to us that we care for, but it has to be uh, uh, a benefit for everybody who enjoys the same situation. That is why we try to make sure that when we collect the needs of the community, it is based on equity and equitableness. Then the fourth uh, reason how we can bring <clears throat> unity within the Tibetan community is also to seek public participation and cooperation. Without public participation and cooperation, uh, ministers, Sigong or ministers or departments alone will not be able to accomplish everything that we have envisaged ourselves to embark on. So therefore, um, uh, participation and cooperation from the general public is very, very important. That also adds to the unity of the Tibetan community. I'm very encouraged to say that in the last two years we have traveled to many different parts of uh, India and the West where there are Tibetan settlements and we have been warmly received by the 
uh, trend population at the settlements and uh, we have been able to uh, bring the Tibetan people closer to the uh, Central Tibetan Administration and this effort will continue because one of my promises is also to visit every single Tibetan settlement twice in five years and uh, we have just finished uh, the second year and uh, in India except for Varanasi and some places in and around Taramsala we have completed visiting every single settlement and uh, in collecting their needs. So therefore uh, just for instance uh, the, one of the focus of this administration is database but the database that we have managed to collect over the last few months is still not complete. That's because of lack of public participation and lack of public cooperation. And we cannot, at the center, create data for the locals. The data has to come from the local areas. Um, we'll focus a little more on data and structure and system uh, in the second part. But uh, these four points, in securing democracy, and upholding democratic principles and practices will definitely help in bringing unity because then we will focus more on rules and regulations than individuals. Under a democratic norm, a democratic polity, rules and regulations are paramount. Individuals comes next. Then we talked about ensuring transparency in all our uh, work equitable distribution, distribution of resources. We don't look at who is who, from which province or from which religion, religious tradition you come from when we look at services. So uh, those will also add to the unity of the Tibetan community and public participation and cooperation. Now the second part of this section is preserving, preservation and promotion of uh, Tibet's unique identity. Now through, how do we do that? Since we came into exile, um, uh, the first Prime Minister of India, Pandit Nehru, advised His Holiness to set up compact communities and set up separate Tibetan schools. And because of that and His Holiness' uh, uh, far-sightedness, uh, these compact communities came up in different parts of India and Nepal. And because of these compact communities, we were able to establish our own schools and monastic institutions and cultural institutions. Uh, but unfortunately, now more and more younger people are moving out of these compact communities. So there is a threat to the survival or the sustenance of these uh, compact communities, which is very, very essential for our cause. So there are three reasons. One short-term reason is to be able to take care of the people who don't own anything, uh, including a home. Um, that is uh, uh, the short-term objective and the midterm objective of the, is the sustainability of the uh, bigger clusters of communities and then the third reason is of course give more life to the Tibetan cause itself in the long run even if we have to struggle for the next 30 40 years 50 years we should be able to do that and that we can do only if we build back compact communities presently Every time we look at a challenge, we are always looking for opportunities. So when we started, to, when we took over the responsibility of the cabinet, we found that one of the challenge was the dispersing uh, Tibetan compact Tibetan communities, and the other challenge was those Tibetans who came from Tibet in the last 30, 40 years and who have nothing to call their own, not even an inch of land. So therefore, 
we decided that one challenge could complement the other challenge as a solution. But then, of course, we'll have to raise a lot of funds to provide for these facilities. Uh, that is why building back compact communities or uh, repopulating compact communities is one of the prime areas where we are preparing for the worst, uh, even if we have to struggle for the next several decades. Uh, this is one of our uh, flagship uh, programs, which also uh, takes a lot of time and also energy and raising fund. And hopefully <coughs> we will be able to complete these programs in the next three years as much as possible and then complete it during the next uh, uh, term of the cabinet, whoever comes in. Then we, to ensure preservation and promotion of Tibet's unique identity, we also have to make sure that the uh, Tibetan religious institutions also survive and uh, sustain on their own. Uh, when we first came into exile, the, the monastic institutions that we established had only Tibetan monks and nuns. Over the last 63 years, all these institutions have been growing on their own. The Central Tibetan Administration is not in a position to fund the monastic institutions for their regular uh, 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 needs uh, and they manage their own funding and also their administration. So as of today, there are about 268 registered monasteries and nunneries under the religion and uh, uh, culture department, and a little more than 41,000 monks and nuns, out of which about 66,000, 66% uh, are from the Himalayan region, from the Indian Himalayas and uh, Nepal and Bhutan. So even though we are refugees, we are we seek, uh, we receive help from others, we, but we also help others from independent countries. Um, so for the future sustenance of these monastic institutions, I think it's very important that we reach out to the state governments in the Himalayan states uh, region and then seek cooperation from these state governments to make sure that these religious institutions also survive in the long run into the future. Then. Uh, the continuation or reinforcing the implementation of basic education policy for Tibetans in exile is very, very important. And considering the declining number of students from little more than 20,000 in 2012 to 9,700 in 2021 is reflective of the, uh, the social and demographic changes that are happening within the Tibetan community. And uh, this also will uh, push us in integrating the schools in the long run. So implementing basic education policy is very important, uh, also because uh, Tibetan language is being targeted by the Chinese government inside Tibet. And if we Tibetans in the free world are not able to preserve Tibetan language based on this basic education policy, uh, then we will be definitely on the losing side. Therefore, we have to give a lot more importance to the implementation of the basic education. Strive as hard as possible to provide uh, reading materials above the grade of grade seven and eight and make sure to see, look into the possibility of how it can be implemented as much as possible. Then uh, sustaining Tibetan educational system is also important. So you have a few non-governmental organizations who have started institutions on their own to focus on the Tibetan language and Tibetan literature and Tibetan history and all those kind of things, aside from the uh, 
uh, Central University of Tibetan Studies. There is also the uh, Dalai Lama College in Bangalore. You have Sara Institute. You have Nobilinga. You have now more institutions coming up, and these institutions are very, very important in providing uh, Tibetan education uh, to the Tibetans, not only those uh, who are living in India, Nepal, and Bhutan, uh, wishing to pursue higher education, but also to the Tibetans who live in the Western world uh, to study basic Tibetan or advanced Tibetan in many of these institutions, and these needs to be encouraged. And the third, as I mentioned already before, is now how do we, considering the declining number of students, how do we integrate the schools so that the cost of managing these schools will be reduced and more facilities could be provided to the students and the teachers and the faculty members in running these institutions. Then um, Tibetan language education is uh, all the more important, particularly in the West where now about 50,000 Tibetans have moved to Europe, North America, Australia, and other countries. And uh, since there are, uh, the good thing is wherever there is a sizable number of Tibetans, there is also a Tibetan association. And people are elected uh, uh, and they work pro bono. Nobody has salary, so they all work for free for the community, for the sustenance of the community and to carry forward the movement uh, of the community. So uh, we also need to support the weekend Tibetan education uh, classes in the Western countries and monastic institutions where they need support for textbooks and other things. Then um, <clears throat> there is also, well, there were also proposals to start charter schools in the West or schools in India for Tibetan children in the West. So those are also being uh, explored. Uh, now, under the Religion and Culture Department, we also have this program to support uh, Tibetans who are uh, in the field of preservation and promotion of Tibetan arts and crafts and uh, uh, other skills like uh, research work on uh, traditional Tibetan uh, arts and crafts. So this is also one important ac uh, factor in the preservation of the unique Tibetan identity, the, the building back the community and uh, sustaining religious institutions, uh, the implementation of the basic edu education policy and integra integration of the schools under which I have explained the five different categories that we intend to work on. And then the third part of this section is inclusive community. So. Uh, caring for the underprivileged, uh, whether it is uh, old people or whether it is uh, or informed people, people who are sick, physically sick or mentally sick, uh, who is not uh, about able to mm, support uh, themselves. Uh, so all under underprivileged people uh, to make it an inclusive community, and we have to reach out to all sections of the community. And one of the most uh, deserving uh, for care is the underprivileged. So we will be undertaking special uh, programs for the underprivileged. And then, of course, uh, empowerment of women is uh, one of the important metrics in any of the proposals that comes up these days. Um, although Tibetan community uh, relatively is much more better than many other communities in terms of women empowerment. Uh, they are still uh, areas where we need to work on. And uh, as Sikong, I believe that um, 
empowerment is equal to opportunities. So that is why this <coughs> cabinet is focused on uh, providing more opportunities for women in all spheres of life. And then the third uh, part is uh, the engagement of the youth in the development of the community. So uh, youth who have not been able to finish their education, who had to drop out, uh, uh, they will all be eligible for any kind of skills they want to learn. Uh, for an unemployed youth, we are willing to provide any skill that they want to learn and use the skill uh, to come back to the community and live there and make a living. So that is what we are aiming at. So any opportunities that youth are looking for in terms of gaining a skill for their livelihood is certainly an area that we are really looking into. And then, of course, uh, one part of this is to create healthy settlements. So under the health department, we have both allopathy and Tibetan traditional medicine to treat our patients. Uh, we will also be uh, looking at how best we can uh, uh, transform our service delivery. Uh, so those areas are uh, very important also to promote these Tibetan settlements as holistic healing centers with both uh, Tibetan medicine for physical health and uh, uh, Buddhism for mental health. So these will take time to develop because it's not something that comes to our mind and then we can act upon it as soon as or as we wish because all these things take time and planning and a lot of things to do. So, But these are very much in the pipeline. The fourth section is to uh, how to create sustainable economic opportunities, which I covered a little bit because we will have to develop an integrated development plan for the settlements, whether it's to do with developing a religious app where people can come visit the monasteries and get an understanding of the Buddhism. Uh, otherwise, right now what's happening is there's nobody to take them around, particularly in uh, the vernacular languages. So people just come and see the buildings and go home without much knowledge. Uh, this is also partly to build emotional bonding between the Tibetans and the uh, uh, local Indian population. Because one of the uh, aim of His Holiness the Dalai Lama is to create, uh, to, or to turn these major Buddhist institutions into the Nalanda of the past or uh, Buddhist study centers, international Buddhist study centers of the future. So. <clears throat> Keeping those uh, long-term objectives in, in view, we have to work towards uh, uh, creating a sustainable economic opportunities for uh, Tibetans to be able to live back in that settlement. So all the programs and policies will be uh, driven towards how do we get people back into the compact communities and how do we create uh, inclusive society, how do we empower uh, women, how do we uh, engage youth, and how do we create a healthy uh, settlement. So this is the third part.